Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. All right, and with that, away we go. Welcome to the maiden voyage of the moment. My name is Chris Epting. Very uh, proud to be a part of the Voice America family starting today. So thank you for joining me on this first episode. Very briefly, if you don't know about me, I'm an author and a journalist. I've written a lot of books about baseball and music and travel and basically stuff that I'm very passionate about. Uh, I love uh, telling stories, but I also like helping other people tell their stories. And kind of the starting point when I do that is to isolate special moments in, in someone's life and you know, try and figure out why those are so important and, and how those have affected their lives. And so that's what this show is going to be. One hour a week, I'm going to have on some really cool people, most of whom I'm sure you'll be very familiar with. And we're going to kind of get to the heart of their moments in life. And you never know, it may kind of trigger you to start thinking about your own moments. That would actually be a wonderful thing if that happened. And to start things today is, uh, is somebody I'm, I was really proud to have spoken with, Todd Rundgren, who is the kind of original rock and roll renaissance man. He has a brand new book out called uh, The Individualist digressions, dreams, and dissertations at, uh, from Cleopatra. And it's his memoir. But what he's done, interestingly, and why I thought he was a great first guest, is the book is a series of moments. Literally every page, there is a story broken down into three individual parts, which we'll talk about. And so he went ahead and, and really identified in very specific form the moments from his life. And so we talk about a bunch of those. And uh, I think you'll enjoy the conversation. The way it's going to work is it's a two-part interview, which I'm going to go to in just a moment. And then I'll be back for the last 15 or 20 minutes or so live to uh, talk a little bit more about Todd, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as you'll hear about in our conversation. And if you want to call in there, if you've, if you've read the book or you have a comment about the show, you can do that. I'm going to give you a number right now, toll free in the States. It is 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Internationally, it's 001 480 one three nine four, and again, you can call me uh, in the back end of the show, and we can uh, talk about Todd and the book or whatever else you want to talk about. But in the meantime, here is uh, part one of my interview with Todd Rundgren. My name is Chris Septing. This is the moment, and I really appreciate you be- appreciate you being here. Thank you, Todd. Thanks a lot for joining me here on the moment, and congratulations on your new book, The Individualist: Digressions, uh, Dreams, and Dissertations. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Todd, the first thing that, that I was curious about is, did you keep a journal of any sort over the years? Because your, your memories are vivid, they're colorful, they're really descriptive. It feels like you may have had a journal going at some point. Did, did you or was it all memory? Um, no, it's, it's all memory. <laughs> it's part of the reason why it's so hard for me to write the book. I, for some reason, self, subconsciously, I equate writing with, going to school <laughs> and like doing sitting down and doing homework and stuff sure. like that and just I have a visceral reaction to it um, I can write um, and if I get fired up about something in particular then I can you know I can go a couple of paragraphs but um, yeah in the case of writing the book um, it wasn't so much the challenge of remembering everything as trying to remember what was important mm-hmm. as opposed to what's just simply 
entertaining um, to people. Well, that kind of but, got you to your structure, too, huh? There's a very unique kind of three-part structure you use, which I guess basically is what the event was, what you felt about it, and I know I'm simplifying here, but then uh, sort of a reflection on what you learned from it, right? That's pretty much it. You know, I needed that sort of structure in order to, um, in order to tell the story in a way that I felt comfortable, but in addition to that... Um, it made sure that I wasn't getting into one of these run-on situations where, you know, it's the one thing I hate is when somebody tells a story that doesn't have an ending to it, <laughs> you know, or yeah. someone tells a joke and there's no ending right, to it, right. you know. And so it's almost sort of working backwards from whatever the ending was to see what was the, the incipiating uh, event and then um, – and then try and bracket all of that. Um, I guess in addition, I had other sorts of rules that I imposed on myself. For like instance, what? I I didn't want to tell anybody else's story. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people sometimes they'll introduce a character and then they'll start, and then they'll go on at length about you know what that character has done. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to tell somebody else's story. I wanted to simply relate my interactions with with them and if at some point they wanted to tell their story that's their that's their prerogative but um that was one thing that i kind of adhered to the other thing was i didn't want to do anything that was just simply titillating Mm -hmm. Um, even though people like to read that kind of stuff it just seems out of context in a way for me to just to try and base a story on something that's merely piques a, a kind of morbid curiosity in people as opposed to having a point to it. Well, I think if you look at the, the music memoirs or just memoirs in general that really work, um, it's the ones that don't do that. I, I think of Patti Smith's, I think of Bob Dylan's, I think of yours, where it's almost a reflection of the artist to not go tawdry, you know what I mean? And to sort of, like you say, focus on what matters without being gratuitous. Yeah, and that's you know sometimes hard to distinguish. Or there are things that, if they're couched in the wrong way, can seem gratuitous. Mm-hmm. So there has to be some sort of legitimate connection. Um, there are implications in there that you don't have to bother to um, bother to expand upon. Quite obviously, I'm sleeping with somebody who's sleeping with somebody else <laughs> but we don't have to get into the details right of that. right <laughs> um the, the more important thing is you know it's not who's sleeping with who it's you know like what kind what's the quality of the relationship sure. you have with this person well i think also i think it also came into play were the pictures that you painted about the different eras when these people may have been sleeping together, whether it was, you know, early 1970s in New York City, you know, in Philadelphia. The, the, the backdrops become important, too, because those are sort of the stages you're all on. And I thought you did a wonderful job of not just New York, but early Philadelphia, too. You're growing up. You know, the scene where the Orlans come to sing at your school is so funny and weird and charming and obviously had an impact on you. Yeah, it was something that I never expected out of the school. I'm not sure whether they thought this is a good 
chance for the teachers to get an hour off or something <laughs> like that, you know. But, you know, I always thought that the school was so square, you know, that they would never be hip enough to have, like, a local music act come in and entertain the kids. In particular, you know, um, well, they certainly were a local music act, but, you know, to come into an all-white school with a black act, and uh, I guess it was as much... I don't know. Maybe they were some, somehow experimenting in sociology at the same time <laughs> just to see what would happen. The tribal <laughs> but, effects of live music on young young ears. Well, not just that, you know, exposing a bunch of all-white kids who often had never even been in the same room with a black person, you <laughs> <Right>. know. <laughs> Todd, did you – I don't know if it was deliberate, but there's no, um, no real dates in the book. And it, was that consciously to sort of not date it? And to keep it open, or was it just something that, that happened as a process of writing the book? Well, uh, some dates are implied. I graduated in, you know, quite uh, when I turned 18, and that was 1966. So, right. you know, there's my birth certificate in there. You can kind of make an estimation of, you know, when things happen. I'm about five, exactly. Right. So, so you can say <laughs> that's about 1953, 54. Um, and, you know, Essentially, by the things I described, you can get some general idea yeah. of the, the time frame. But, you know, that that's for history books, you know. Yeah. Well, Actually, I liked you know, it. I, again, it didn't – to me, it sort of works because all of a sudden it, it has a, a – it's sort of timeless in that you're not locking it into 1973 or 74. And like you say, people have a general idea of when you did the New York Dolls record and when you did the Meatloaf record. It doesn't really necessitate, I guess, dating everything. Um, yeah, there. As I say, there are the sort of um, implications, but also, um, I have that that attitude about music. In that, you know, I don't like to write about things that seem to be only about now. Mm-hmm. You know, so writing a song like "Tinfoil Hat" kind of, in some ways, is a little bit out of my wheelhouse because I like to think the material will stand up in other time frames, right. you know, that you could still listen to it in the future and it wouldn't be making so many, you know, specific cultural references that you couldn't identify with it any longer. So a lot of it is, I guess, you know, the events that you have, that, that you go through can be transplantable to somebody mm-hmm. else's life and somebody else's age as well, some other time frame, as long as you don't get too awfully specific about right. you know, about what's happening. Todd, one thing I found really fascinating, for all of the music that's in the book, and you go into great you know, great stories in detail about the band, about Janis Joplin, about Laura Nero, but there's a, a suite of stories in the middle from about, it seems late 75, early 76, where you go to the Middle East by yourself, and you go on this kind of excursion to go discover things, learn about yourself, learn about culture, and the writing is really strong and wonderful, and again, it has nothing to do with music per se, it's just sort of a stranger in a strange land, and this period of discovery, that, that trip must have really stood out to you to dedicate as much as you did to it in the book. Well, it was um, it was an interesting time for me in that I I was never I'm not the kind of person who's you know uncomfortable being with myself. I can handle that. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need uh, constant reassurance from people that I recognize. 
But to go out by yourself, uh, not knowing anybody, mm-hmm. and making the connections as you go along, um, that, I don't know, it's kind of like my life has had been like that up until then. And I was starting to feel maybe a little too secure. In other words, when I left home on my 18th birthday, I had no prospects except to meet up with some drummer in Ocean City, New Jersey. (laughs) And after that, I had no idea what's happening. I had no idea where I was going to sleep, how I was going to feed myself. It just kind of all worked out. And when I went to the Middle East and to Asia, I had the same attitude about it. I said, I'm just going to work out somehow, or, <laughs> I, or I may not show up again. Or that's so, it, right? <laughs> End yeah, of or that's it. Um, it was a different time then. I mean, you couldn't sure. take that trip now. You know, I was just ahead of all of the kind of disasters that befell the, the region in that I was in Iran just a year before the Shah fell. Mm-hmm. I was in Afghanistan a year before the Russians invaded. God. So it was... Yeah, it was know, the I, last window, yeah, of that kind of yeah, trip. Yeah, the window was closing behind me the whole time. So I'm glad that I did it because I, I couldn't or wouldn't do it now. Well, it was great. It's funny. To me, at that point, it becomes a travel book and a really good travel book. I don't know if you ever thought about writing more about uh, adventures, but uh, but it really was. Uh, to me, that became sort of the big part of heart and soul of the book is that trip. I think it's about 12 stories in there. And each one, un- un- I think, unveils um, kind of an interesting new truth about you and the world. And it's really enjoyable reading. Todd, we're going to take a quick commercial break. My name is Chris Septing. This is The Moment. My guest today is Todd Rundgren. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you're an influencer, you don't follow the trends. 
You sent them. Voice America influencers are involved in creating change in personal and professional lives, collaborating and driving value to make our lives better. We have world-renowned thought leaders, speakers, authors, entrepreneurs, artists, and some of the most influential voices today. Listen in today to what they have to say. Engage in the conversation. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Answer the call. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at ChrisEpting.com. That's Chris at ChrisEpting.com. Now, back to The Moment. All right, we're just going to get ready to get back into our uh, part two of my conversation with Todd Rundgren about his new book, The Individualist, just out from Cleopatra. Really, really fun read. I'm going to talk to Todd now for another 15 minutes or so. After that, if you've read the book and want to comment on it or comment about anything, the toll-free number here in the States is 866-472-5788. We're going to get into a little topic here uh, that happened recently, uh, depending on when you're listening, which was Todd's uh, nomination not induction, but nomination to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and uh, some other things as well. So without further ado, part two of my conversation with Todd Rundgren. My name is Chris Epting. You're listening to The Moment. Thank you for being here. Todd, you know, I know you've been working on the book for a long time. It was about 20 some odd years ago where you introduced pieces of it uh, on Patronet, which was a, a service you had set up for, for fans. Um, did your folks ever get a chance to read any parts of this book? Did they know you were writing this when they were still with us? Uh, I didn't make them necessarily aware uh, of the project. Um, mm-hmm. I did not. I didn't ever sit down and say, "Hey, I'm writing a book. Can I ask you about this, that, or the other thing?" Um, uh, the the reason is not that I. Um, that I had any sort of trepidation, I guess, about um, about getting uh, soliciting input from, uh, let's say, my parents. As a matter of fact, when I started to get more serious about writing this a couple of years ago, I thought it'd be important for somebody, not necessarily me, but somebody to interview my mom just to see what she remembered. Mm-hmm. So. Not necessarily that I would change what I remembered, but just so that I didn't forget to include something important. Sure. Um, but that opportunity never happened either. 
And uh, in the end, I had to I had to rely pretty much on my own recollections, which don't necessarily always agree with the way other people recollect, mm-hmm. a, you know, a particular situation. But, you know, it is your prerogative when you are writing your own memoir to remember things the way you want to remember them. Well, sure. And it's or, like anything. Put five people around a car accident. You're all going to have, you know, a variety of observations and impressions. And each one, you know, each one matters to each person. Yeah, well, you know, I think the thing that will upset most people is me not talking about them at all, as if, <laughs> as if I didn't consider them worthy for some reason. And it isn't that. Some, there's a lot of people that I could mm-hmm. uh, talk about, but it, then I would be telling their story. Sure, sure. You know, in other words, I don't have an anecdote or a particular story that would sum up my relationship with a particular person. So I just kind of didn't bother at all, you know, to introduce that person. Mm -hmm. Or they may have been introduced just as a, uh, you know, as an incidental, you know, figure in some larger thing that happened. But it doesn't mean that that's all they were. Right, Um, right. It's it's just that for my own purposes, that's, um, it had to make sense to me. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought in particular what you wrote about your dad, about coming to grips and coming to terms uh, right before he passed away. You, you wrote a beautiful passage at the end of that, if I can quote it briefly. You said, quote, family is the fancy name we use for brood colony, that complex connection of relatives that would otherwise be an ant farm. Your life is going to be about your immediate family, parents, siblings, uncles and aunts and cousins by the dozens, and the precious, precious grandparents from which endless bounties flow, unquote. It's a beautiful passage. Not about music. It's, it's, it really is. It's, it's a beautiful take on family. Well, it, family was important to me, and I was. it was always a disappointment that I didn't have a healthy one. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I resolved when I left home, you know, even before I left home, I said, one day I'm going to be a father and I'm going to and I'm going to do it the proper way, you know, because I always wanted a proper father. And my dad was just too beset with, you know, the whole family, his inability to sort of identify with the concept of fatherhood since he didn't have a role model mm-hmm. in that sense and I resolved that I was going to break the karmic you know <laughs> the, the karmic chain you know I was not going to be my dad I was going to be something different well, isn't it ironic though when the people like that become the best teachers by showing you what not to do yeah well there's a lot of that <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's still still going on but uh, uh, that's um, that's uh, always been a source for me of uh, of education. It's why you know why I was a teetotaler all through my teen years. You know because all of the teens around me, whenever they got drunk or you know got into something, they were just they behave ridiculously. Right. And I thought I I had enough going against me as it was. You know <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't need ridiculous behavior. You know from drinking too much alcohol or whatever. I didn't need that on top of it. Right. Ted, so how do you translate this now on tour? I know you're going out um, in the next few months, and it's it's a book slash 
uh, music tour. Have you figured out yet how you're going to bring this to life and what the components are going to be, or is it still kind of a work in progress? It's a work in progress and probably will be in some respects all the way up until rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because that's the way I tend to do things. I hold out my <laughs> – if I have the time to, you know, to – to ruminate on a decision, I'll take all the time that, that's available to me. Uh-huh. And it's reflective of the way I write music nowadays, because I don't write the words to the songs until everything else is done, mm-hmm. until all the instruments and everything have been recorded. And then I write the words in a spurt that lasts maybe 20 minutes, a half an hour. Uh-huh. Sometimes they get hung up and have to you know finish it off a little bit later. But I've been thinking about it. it so much that my subconscious takes over mm-hmm. and just as once I put the pen to the paper or my finger to the iPad as it were my subconscious will just start stringing the words together because I've ruminated about the concept mm-hmm. I've toyed, toyed with possible rhymes and things like that in my head but deferred the process as long as possible to let my subconscious um, get involved and it's kind of the same way with anything that I think is, you know, Im- important and is supposed to make an impact. Trying to consciously skull my way through it, you know, <laughs> and figure out every detail, you know, by by uh, trial and error uh-huh. is, is, is time consuming and often doesn't get you the result that you're looking for. Right, right. And I find that it's uh, that it's much more. It's much more, uh, you know, true to what I'm actually feeling if I don't rush it, if I let it kind of gestate and and birth itself in a way. Mm-hmm. That it's a big deal when you finish your book, you finish a memoir, and you put it out. It, it is, um, it's a gutsy thing to do. I mean, I've written memoirs with people, I know how they feel the anxiety. What did you learn about yourself, if anything, special through the course of doing it and then releasing it, getting feedback on it? Is there is there some takeaway you get from it? Uh, or a way that you view yourself that's been affected by the book? Well, I I feel, you know, I have a sense of accomplishment having gotten it done, you mm-hmm. know, in the same way that, you know, I was a sense of relief to finally get out of high school. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Boy, it all gets back school. to school, huh? <laughs> yeah, in some, in some sick way, yeah, it's like... You know, even decades later, you still have bad dreams about school, you know, <laughs> about showing up in school and you're naked and right. you don't have your homework, you know? <laughs> but uh, scarred for life. But um, the uh, there is a sense of accomplishment of actually having, you know, done something that's pretty large mm-hmm. and that could have gone horribly wrong. Right. <laughs> and that. And it's only coming out on Friday anyway, so the jury's still out. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, I know that some people will like it, and other people may be nonplussed by it. You know, I, the thing that I always, um, the reaction that's least satisfying for me is that people don't care. Right. Got to get um, a reaction. Yeah, if they hate it, that's fine. You know, but at least they read it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ted, do you think if, if you were to do this, uh, I don't know if there's going to be a part two in your future down the line, um, but in terms of moments, the book wraps up about 20 years ago, the chronology, and so you've done a lot of things uh, in between then. Most recently, um, there was the nomination for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which became a very kind of tumult, forced this kind of crazy tumultuous you know, debate across the country, and I think really um, a lot of people became more aware of you, and I mean, we can put aside, does the all matter at all but it did create this interesting discussion about you and i think a lot of people came out of the woodwork and spoke out and it really it was great to see people kind of recognizing you in a way that uh maybe they hadn't been as vocal before what was it like for you i saw all the bob left that stuff the letters and the letter you know the article that he wrote it uh, you became sort of the 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 i want to say poster boy for like but what's wrong with the hall you know if todd rundgren can't be in there who can what, do you just sit back bemused by this does it does it affect you on any level i mean what was your take in all of this well it, it is bemusing but it's it's like I feel what I feel about it. I kind of put a sock in it mm-hmm. for the benefit of the fans so right. that they could have their fan vote without me, you know, cutting the legs out from under them. You know? <laughs> and, and, they did what and they did what they were supposed to do. Oh, yeah. You know? Hell, but, yeah. They stepped out. But now no I, think, I think everyone now has a realization of, you know, the bogosity. <laughs> of it. You know, they used the fans for months and months, you know, to call attention to the Hall of Fame, and then essentially ignored the result. Yeah. And so uh, that's just part of the weirdness. I mean, to me, it's weird that they call it the Hall of Fame. Oh, it's ridiculous. ridiculous. That's a a sports thing. Right. Right. That's for people who haven't played the game in decades. You know, their last last game was 25 years ago. Exactly. And then you induct them in the Hall of Fame. You know, musicians, they don't necessarily, you know, just retire from the game. I mean... If they did, then I could understand a Hall of Fame. You know, if the zombie said, okay, we quit, we're never playing again, that's a good excuse to go into the Hall of Fame. Right, you know? right. But I can, you know, I intend to continue playing on the, at least as long as Tony Bennett, if I have the opportunity. You better. You know, and, and you know, what's the Hall of Fame point of that? The Hall of Fame is an arbitrary bracket on your on your career, you know, it's like, as soon as you're in the Hall of Fame, essentially it's over. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy, but it was fun watching kind of the water cooler discussions revolve around you and people really going to bat and just calling out the nonsense of the whole thing in a sense, but also recognizing that, you know, again, I, it was great seeing Joe Elliott be so vocal, you know, and and and, and I think fans took to that as well. And, um, you know, again... Yeah, it was very, it was very gracious of him. Um, I actually... Joe came to one of our shows at the end of our last leg of um, of the uh, Unpredictable Tour, and I had never met him before. Great you know, guy, he's a really terrific, great guy. Terrifically nice guy. We got along great for the you know for the brief time that we had together. So I thought it was very nice of him to uh, have spoken up about it. Great. Well, Todd, I hope you. I really, uh, genuinely hope you keep writing. You've clearly got at least another book in you, high school notwithstanding. Uh, I hope uh, I hope the moments you know continue to be important to you because it really is a wonderful book and I'm very impressed with how deep you went and just how uh, how much you put out there. Again, it's it's hard to do that. And uh, one last question: Did you did you share it with your family before? Like, was did you want to cut anybody in on it? Wife, kids, anything like that, or did you, did you just kind of go out cold with this? I the only person 
aside from you know, like management and, uh, and the publishers, you know, people involved mm-hmm. in the actual publishing of the book, the only person I showed it to was my wife mm-hmm. because I wanted her to get over any issues that she had <laughs> right away. <you laughs> Smart know, man. So that, so that I could, you know, just put the book out and, and not have to deal with that. So, uh, what did she think of it overall? I mean, well, she's a pretty voracious reader, and I think she liked it. I think she may be reticent to give me her detailed and honest opinion, mm-hmm. but but that's fine. You know, she said she liked the book, the book overall, and since she reads so much, that's uh, that's good enough for me. Well, fantastic. Well, Todd, congratulations again. Looking forward to the tour coming up later on in 2019. The book is The Individualist, Digressions, Dreams, and Dissertations by the one and only Todd Rundgren. Todd, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a lot, Chris. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Hear me. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or a comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. 
And that was my conversation with Todd Rundgren. I hope you enjoyed that. And I really encourage you to go out and check out his book, his brand new memoir called The Individualist, Digressions, Dreams, and Dissertations. I did a fairly deep review review of the book on medium.com that you may want to check out that uh, before the book came out. And uh, again, I read a lot of these books. I read a lot of music memoirs, and I've written a number of them too. So it's always interesting to, you know, read one from an artist that you're interested in. And I've been a, you know, following Todd for a long time and his career is, uh, again, it's had so many interesting twists and turns. And, you know, talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there reminded me of something. Uh, He mentions Joe Elliott because Joe Elliott, you know, the band Def Leppard was inducted this year, even though Todd wasn't. And Joe Elliott, whenever you saw him interviewed, was very vocal in supporting Todd, which I thought was great. And and I've known Joe for a while and and wanted to share a little bit of a story, uh, kind of a moment for me. I wrote a book a number of years ago called Adrenalized with Phil Collin from Def Leppard. And in writing that book, I did a lot of interviews, which is what you do when you write a book like that. And a series of interviews that stood out for me were with Joe Elliott. And so he and I would talk and email and just get into sort of a groove about, you know, sharing stories and things. And then we get into like sharing music because Joe is a, is a very ardent kind of collector and uh, documentarian. So we were sharing, you know, bootleg audio and all kinds of stuff back and forth. And we ended up talking about Todd Rundgren because there's a story in, in the Phil Collins book about how in the mid 80s, Def Leppard as a band was interested in the producer. They were doing an album called Hysteria, and they wanted to find whoever produced the album Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf, which was, of course, Todd Rundgren. But back in the mid-80s, in kind of a I don't say pre-internet age, you know, they didn't really have it together in terms of figuring out who produced the record. And so what they did is they... They contacted Jim Steinman. Now, Jim Steinman, as you probably know, wrote most of, if not all of the music on the first, on Bad Out of Hell. And they thought that he had produced the record. So they actually hired him to produce Hysteria. And it didn't go well. They paid him a lot of money. He was not uh, not the right guy for the job. And we, we detail it a little bit in the book. It just didn't go the way the band wanted. And, and they decided to part ways. But they thought they were getting the producer of Bad Out of Hell and learned later that it, it had been Todd Rundgren. So I was talking to Joe Elliott about this. And, and he was saying how much he loved Todd. And in particular, Joe loved uh, a tour that Todd did in the early 80s, 1980, I believe, with Ian Hunter. It was this, a tour in support of a then-presidential candidate named John Anderson. And I had some audio clips of those shows with Joe just, just lapped up. So so Joe's a fan. And he, so when I got to know him, he would constantly talk about how talented he thought Todd Rundgren was. Well, fast forward to a couple of years ago where I was talking to Todd out here in Southern California, interviewing him for a piece I was writing. And at the end of the interview, I said, you know, by the way, you've got – some uh, some really big fans in Def Leppard and Todd's eyes lit up and he said you know what he goes I have to tell you the song Photograph for me is like if not certainly one of if not the greatest song of the 1980s and I said really and he just I, I don't think I'd ever seen Todd get so excited talking about a piece of music and he talked about you know the great ride out solo that Phil Collin plays at the end the production the background vocals and all of that and he goes, yeah, he goes, that's just one of the absolute shining moments of the 80s. So, you know, there's this sort of um, mutual respect they have for each other, which is why I thought it was great and really sort of full circle that Joe Elliott was coming out and talking.
talking about Todd. I mean, again, whenever he was being interviewed talking about his own band, he would say, hey, you know, it'd be great to be in the hall, but the guy that really deserves to be in is Todd Rundgren. So it was interesting. I don't think there's been, I mean, there, there are great debates that take place, obviously, about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, and its merits or its, uh, you know, why does it even exist in the first place? And, and I, okay, I think to a lot of people, it's obvious. It's a very political institution. It doesn't have as much to do with real um, qualifications if it did Todd Rundgren and many other bands would certainly be in there already. But I think even though Todd didn't get in this time, I think he benefited from all the conversations because I think it helped his stock rise. I think the fact that the fans, if you don't know what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does with, with, during nomination season is they allow for a fan vote. And the I think it's the top three artists that get the most votes they get that earns them kind of a vote you know in terms of getting in sort of would be the equivalent of one journalist's vote and Todd Rundgren's fans are uh, famous I mean really legendary for being there through thick and thin uh, for supporting Todd no matter how many twists and turns he puts out there musically and you know Todd of course he's defined by the fact that he rarely does the same thing twice and and Todd's fans since the early days have uh, have helped carry that notion along for a long time. And so all of a sudden, again, Todd came in, I think, third behind Def Leppard and Stevie Nicks in terms of fan voting with upwards like almost 400,000 votes. And and that got a lot of people's attention. Again, the music uh, maven Bob Lefsetz wrote a very detailed piece about Todd Rundgren. And I think what it did is, even though Todd may not care that much about the hall, I don't think he does, uh, at least to hear him talk about it. What I, I think it does set him up for another nomination, and I do think he will get in because I think enough eyes were opened. You know, a lot of young voters, uh, people that vote in the hall, may not have been as familiar with Todd Rundgren, and we can, you know, we can sit around and 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 kick this around all day. I remember talking to Phil Collin about it years ago, and he says, "Well, I don't even know if we would show up if we got voted in." I think that's the attitude before you get voted in. But then if you do, you know, it's there. There is something about it that does matter uh it's certainly good for business you know to go out there and 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 tour as a rock and roll hall of fame uh member is a good thing you know it's good for business but but i think todd i do think he will get in i do think this year if nothing else opened up a lot of voters eyes to his his legacy and his career you know people don't realize if he grew up in the 1970s as I did, and I'm a total product of the 70s. Uh, if you read magazines like Cream and Circus and Hit Parader, Todd Rundgren's name was always in the thick. Like they would do these polls, who's the greatest guitarist of the year, whatever. And it would invariably be like Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, and Todd Rundgren. I mean, he's got so many facets as a producer, as a writer, as a, as a singer. And back then, I mean, he was considered, you know, one of the virtuoso guitar players. He's just had all of these different hats that he's worn and things that he's done and and this year or 2018 rather the voting cycle for the rock and roll hall of fame i, I think did help people realize and recognize that this guy really is something unprecedented in the music industry uh just in terms of how many things he does really well so i think it was a good year for todd i think the tour is going to be fantastic that he's launching this uh, spring into summer hasn't really given too many details about it away yet but it is going to incorporate storytelling and book readings and things like that. So it's going to be a good year for Todd Rundgren. He's certainly enjoyed in the last couple of years, I think, a real resurgence. And 
in my opinion, it's because he doesn't, he's refused to become a jukebox act. It's because Todd is one of these artists that is a true artist and that he wants to constantly be creating and putting new things out there. So, uh, so a good year overall for Todd. If you read the individual list and you want to comment on it, you can still some time here to shoot me a phone call toll free at eight, six, six, four, seven, two, five, seven, eight, eight. Um, you know, I think uh, I think Todd again was a good example to help represent what this show is going to be about. And I wanted to lay out a little bit about what I'll be doing uh, over the course of the next few weeks, and and I really am excited about this and very thankful to Voice America for giving me this uh, this show. It's going to be 13 weeks. I want to thank my engineer Aaron today too, who's been just terrific. I don't want to miss a chance to, uh, to name check him there. But uh, what I'm going to be doing is, for instance, next week John Oates is going to be my guest. John Oates from Hall and Oates. Now John and I did write a book. To together called Change of Seasons, which came out a year or so ago. And we're uh, I, I'm well well in tune with with John's storytelling abilities. And so we're gonna isolate really key moments from John's life and I think you'll enjoy that and I've set up some other uh, not just musicians what I want this show to be is is an opportunity to, to hear from a whole realm of artists you know I'm talking to a very well-known photographer who's going to be on in a couple of weeks a couple of other well-known musicians uh, there's a writer a woman who's got a, a best-selling baseball book out right now I'm a big big baseball fan and you'll be hearing uh, baseball stories as, as the weeks go on so I want this to be a change for you to hear from all kinds of people who are creators, who have got great stories to tell, and who are open to this concept, this premise of, of breaking down the key moments in their life. And like I said at the top of the show, I hope as a listener, this sort of helps you start to uh, think about moments in your life. You know, I teach a memoir writing class here in Southern California, where I live, and the first thing that we do in class number one is to isolate and identify those key moments, you know, of of things that happen to you, good or bad, that you measure everything else against, you know, and it's uh, it's something that I think is is it's a really fun process, you know, writing your own story and telling your own story. But that's where it begins. It begins with moments, you know, those those things that you look back on, uh, both both frivolous and large that uh, that have played a big part in your life. So think about that, you know, everybody. Uh, I love telling. The class I teach that you know everybody at some point should put their story down, should document their life, and I say that for a lot of reasons. It's good to sort of make sense of your life. It's good to take credit for things you've done, but it's also wonderful. It's a great way to pass something down to that next generation, whether it's your immediate family, your kids, your grandkids, but also those that come up behind you. You know, as as the years go on, can learn about who you are, what you did. We we all. To some, you know, we all have interesting lives. We all have stories worth telling, and I really believe that. You know, one thing is funny. I want to call out, um, but getting back to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a minute. I read this morning that Tom York from Radiohead, who did get inducted, um, I wouldn't have voted for him, but they did get inducted. But he's going to pass on the ceremony, and I was disappointed to read that because, again, as cynical as a lot of musicians get about the hall, I do think that if you're inducted, it is incumbent upon you to be there for it. You know, there is uh, all politics aside. 
uh, being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does place you in some really special companies. So he's got, I guess, some previous uh, commitments with other work he's doing in Europe. I, I get that, but I don't get that. I think if there's ever ever a time when you want to uh, maybe rearrange your schedule just a little bit, I think your induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, would be would be the time to do it. So again, that's just my two cents on that. I don't know. There's actually uh, a couple of musicians I'll be talking to here on the moment in a couple of weeks that I firmly believe should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In fact, when you look at all of the the lists of people, the snubs and, and things, people who should be in, they do remain uh, on the top of most lists. I don't want to tell you who they are just quite yet. I will tease that and save that for the next few weeks. But but again, the other thing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does, I think, is, is it creates great debates about who belongs and who doesn't. And you always hear about it when the nominations come out. And they'll be coming out again in just a couple of months for the next year, for 2020. And, you know, it's always interesting to watch people sort of do battle over who should be in and who should be out. And as a music journalist, I enjoy those battles as well. I will tell you, too, something I learned yesterday. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I was really... uh, very happy to learn that an interview that I did with Stevie Nicks a couple of years ago, a video interview, they're trying to find the actual master recording of it because they want to use it as part of her induction ceremony that night where they put together kind of a, a package of different clips and things. And so I do hope they they locate that, that original footage because I would be super pleased and super proud uh, for that interview to be part of her induction. That said, I have to be honest, I, I adore Stevie Nicks. I, I really do. Um, I I was torn about her nomination. I mean, she certainly should be in as part of Fleetwood Mac. I I love her solo records, but I worry sometimes that when we, they sort of begin uncoupling artists from their bands and inducting them as solo artists, that it might water down the process a little bit. Would I have voted for if I were a voter? Absolutely. I mean, no doubt I would have as a fan, as a supporter and all that. But I, again, sometimes I think they, they, they slice the pie up a little bit too thin and it may end up costing people like Todd Rundgren a slot because they're trying so hard to, to induct all of these solo careers. I don't know what you think about that, but it's something I've, I've paid a little bit of attention to. But And you're getting back to the premise of the show. That's going to be what it's going to be about each week. I'm going to have uh, – usually the guests will be live. Today it didn't work out that way because of Todd's schedule. I'd rather have them live because that will give you a chance to call in and interact with that artist in real time, which I think will be fun. But uh, wherever possible, I'll do that. But if not, it will be a pre-record like it was today. And beyond that, if you've got thoughts about guests that you want to hear, I would love to uh, you know, take things under consideration. So you can write me at chris at chrisepping.com. You can bookmark this show. And uh, another thing, um, I have some book announcements coming out in the next few weeks I can't go into right now, but I have been working on a book with uh, somebody who I think is a, a fascinating pop culture icon named Leif Garrett. And uh, we can't announce too many things about the publisher or the release of that book. We will be doing that soon. But uh, I spoke to Leif about coming on this show, and he's agreed to do that as well. So in the next few weeks, Leif Garrett will be a guest of mine. And I would like to put out there, in advance of, of what we're doing together, he has, uh, to me, become one of the most fascinating subjects that I have written about. And in terms of moments, he has so many, almost too many for one book. So we've been hard at work trying to identify and um 
you know, figure out which moments will comprise his memoir. I, I can't think of too many figures in pop culture that led the life that he did uh, back, especially back in the late 1970s, early 1980s. And so as a writer, for me, it's a, it's a wonderful challenge to figure out Leif's moments and kind of get his take on his, on his own moments. And I think when we get our conversation together here on the show, you will be impressed with not just what he's done, but things you didn't know about him. And that'll be another facet, I think, of this show. Show is is unveiling things you didn't know about a lot of these artists, and that's always important to me as a writer and as a storyteller to be able to take you places that you didn't go before. I think for me, one of the best examples of that in my life currently is a TV show I do called It Happened Here, which is on the Reels Network, and you can check out. We did ten episodes, and. You know, as a writer, I'm always looking at ways to identify interesting moments in people's lives and in history and and present them in a way, again, that haven't been done before. And I wrote a series of books. The first one was called James Dean Died Here, The Locations of America's Pop Culture Landmarks. And I did a few sequels to that book over the years. And that's really what the TV show is based on, is breaking down places all over the world where stuff happened. You know, there's a John Len- Len- Lennon episode that we did. And so that begins with, you know, the spot in England where he met Paul McCartney and, of course, ends in New York City where his life was taken. In December 8th, 1980, and everything in between uh, spots that you may not have known about John Lennon. There's an episode about Janis Joplin and Marvin Gaye and John Belushi. And I'm, you know, it's funny, the episodes are all done, and, and Reels Network kind of rotates them now equally. They're easy to look up, uh, you know, when they air in your area. And for me as a storyteller, you know, this 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 radio show becomes a new component of how to tell stories, but the TV show visually has been a really fun way to do it, and I look forward to hopefully doing, uh, you know, perhaps a, uh, you know, a second season. But getting back to the TV show uh, and how it ties into this show, The Moment, it happened here as a chance for me to tell stories on, on, a, on a great visual scale and also take you on these road trips, you know, to places far and wide where great and, and not so great things happen in these people's lives. So that's what it's about for me. Again, that's what you'll learn, I think, if you listen to the show. I love telling stories. I like uh, unveiling things that uh, you may not have known before. And, and that's what we'll do. That's what we'll do for 13 weeks. Uh, you know, each week for one hour here on Thursday mornings. Again, you can bookmark the show. You can save it. It'll be archived on a, on a whole variety of platforms. But that is my mission. And so I am super excited. Again, it was it was really a thrill to have Todd Rundgren kick things off here. I think you'll be blown away by what John Oates has to share next week. John uh, has become a good friend, which is what happens when you write a book with somebody. You know, you're spending... Uh, in most cases, a couple of years in very intimate settings, learning about people's lives and identifying the moments that matter. So I think you'll enjoy John Oates' piece next week. And in the meantime, you know, again, I'm I'm super excited about where the show's going to go and what we can do together. And uh, again, I encourage you to stay in touch. And uh, all right, Becky is back for one minute. Let's let's have her come on in here, Aaron, if we could. Hey, Becky, are you there? Hi, Chris. How are you? Yes. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm I'm great. Thank you so much for choosing Todd as your first guest. Well, that was an easy call. Like I said, yeah, his book is terrific. To me, it was an easy call to make Todd uh, the first guest here on The Moment because his book is just chock full of moments. Did you read the book yet? Um, I am in the process of reading it. Um, It's kind of a testament to Todd with 
pre-orders and people having to wait months beyond the schedule. Yeah, the demand, you know, the demand was, was high, and, and, and the reactions, I think, have been really, really positive so far. So, yes, it's, it's a real testament to Todd that, you know, people... Well, listen, Becky, we're going to have We have a hard out here. I'm going to have to go, but I appreciate you calling. Call back next week when John Oates is on, okay? And thanks for supporting Todd Rundgren. Thank you for listening today to me here on The Moment. My name is Chris Epting, and I will see you next Thursday. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.